0: to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member at EarthWalker7 discusses his 15-year career in investment banking and private equity in Hong Kong. We cover his struggles trying to recruit in China after getting an MBA in the US, his stint in banking and what he wishes he did, as well as one piece of key advice to his younger self. Enjoy. (laughs) All right, Earthwalker7, thank you so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. I'd love to just start off with a quick little background, um, if you could just give the listeners a little bit of a summary. Happy to.
1: So uh, I was working in uh, real estate private equity in the U.S. uh, in the early 2000s and felt that uh, it it was uh, a little bit uh, too frothy of a market and valuations didn't make much sense and in any case i had already applied to business school so i kind of knew where i was going to be going and thought that i would give china a try and pick up an extra language before business school and then make an, a decision whether or not to come back so i, I moved to shanghai studied mandarin and then uh, went to business school and uh, then um, after business school decided to turn down an offer to join uh, a bulge bracket investment bank in london in order to come out to Asia and uh, build a career out here. And it's had its, uh, certainly had an adventure. Um, it's had its uh, pros and cons and happy to try to provide a little bit of insight on that. Uh, my career in Asia has spanned investment banking, which is where I started, and then private equity and then real estate private equity. And so I've had the opportunity to spend a fair deal of time on the buy side, um, the better part of, uh, almost 15 years now.
0: Great. Thank you for that quick summary. So when you said you went to Shanghai before business school, um, the idea was to kind of almost give it, test it out. Was that the, was that the thought and was that in banking that specific first stint?
1: So, uh, I was working in private equity in a real estate, private equity shop mm-hmm. prior to business school. Got it. I put in all my applications. So I had a pretty decent uh, idea of where I'd be going in about uh, nine months' time. And the thought was that um, I could keep doing what I was doing and not learning that much new uh, or with the anticipation of trying to get into the Chinese rapidly growing market that maybe I should move to China and study the language. So I actually quit the job and moved to uh, a university in China and studied language full time until it was time for business school to start.
0: Got it. Okay, so that, that was more like a language immersion program to try and make sure that if you did want to have that option, post-business school would be available to you.
1: Correct. Okay. And I, I thought I had a great experience. So by the time <clears throat> I, by the time business school rolled around, um, I had a decent bit of the language under my belt. It was an extra skill set that was relevant to, to potential employers uh, for uh, that I was interviewing with. And I think it was a more unique experience I think that once you actually do get admitted to business school, you do have a window of opportunity and some people travel, some people uh, do a a different kind of uh, internships, pre-MBA internships. And in my case, it was study. And I think that that's definitely something that I do recommend for people once they know that they are going to business school and where.
0: And then once you got there, you, you said you ended up turning down a bulge bracket offer in London. Were you recruiting for both, you know, London positions and, uh, positions in say Hong Kong, or was it kind of all over the board just to see what, kind of what you would get? And what was the thought process behind that?
1: Well, actually this is sort of one of the challenges, um, was there wasn't a lot of Hong Kong recruiting, uh, going on, on my campus. I think that uh, that's changed. I think it's become much more established where you actually, where you do have the banks from Hong Kong going to uh, the U S uh, to find uh, uh, graduates. In my particular case, it, it that didn't happen, and uh, I think it's the market's evolved since, but in my case, I actually uh, did uh, days on the job in Hong Kong, but I gate crashed other schools and so what I did is uh, uh, in the uh, winter break when a lot of the days on the job happens for banking,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: I bought my own ticket to Asia and hit the ground and just started cold calling the banks and said, my school doesn't have a days on the job here in Hong Kong uh, can I come in and see you guys. Yeah. And invariably, every single one of the major banks said, sure, we have so-and-so business school coming in at, at this time. Why don't you try to join theirs? And so I actually got to see all of the banks during that time. Um,
0: and But uh, you didn't know yeah, that was so going to happen. To be, bef- bef- when you first went there, you didn't know you were going to actually be invited in. So that was a little bit of a risk on your part, on your part right? A
1: little bit of risk, right. um, but you know, have to go the extra mile. And I think a lot of the recruiters appreciated that. Right. And, uh, you know, and uh, I ended up getting uh, an offer from uh, Bulge Bracket in London and I hadn't gotten an offer in Hong Kong. And so I, ton- I turned down at the end of uh, graduation the offer in London and took a further risk to come back out to Asia. And I was lucky that it actually did work out. So I did end up getting uh, an offer from a bank in Hong Kong but that was uh, taking definitely a bigger kind of a risk because if you turn down a banking job at the end of business school, you may not have that opportunity again.
0: What gave you Uh, that? What uh, gave you that confidence? I'm just curious, just internally, what gave you that confidence that you felt like I can do this? I'm going to go to where I want to go and actually make it happen. What, What gave you that confidence? I think a lot of people struggle to take those types of risks when they, um, maybe it was, you know, pre-business school, you had a really strong career and a strong path and you you had the confidence built up, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about that.
1: Actually, I,
0: I didn't have
1: uh, that strong of a pre-business school path. So it was really taking more of a risk. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that it makes uh, as much sense now, <laughs> looking back in hindsight, but coming out of business school, I, I just, you know, having had the language experience in, in pre-business school and Just seeing how fast China was growing, I felt I had to be a part of it. And so to me, I felt I could build my opportunities in China more easily than I could in a more developed market. But I also knew that there was a a flip side. I'm not Chinese. And so even though I do speak a fair bit of Chinese now, that there is also the stark fact that there's a lot of candidates in the local market that are more culturally and linguistically fluent than I am. And these days, I think that that's even a case for a lot of the Hong Kong people. So they're finding that they're at a disadvantage when it comes to banking opportunities relative to mainlanders. Mm. So for instance, I know of uh, you know of uh, one of the major banks uh, where uh, from the end of their uh, summer rotation, they only had two seats open, and uh, they were for Beijing and Shanghai, and not at all in Hong Kong. So the market's changed a lot in the time since I've, I first came out. Uh, so, I'm not sure that that strategy would be a great strategy now. It was, and, and also the, you know, the price of assets and just the, the where the country is, where, where China is in terms of its development is very different than it was 15 years ago. But 15 years ago, I was pretty stubborn and pretty bullheaded and I wanted to be part of the growth and that's all there was to it. I, I wouldn't say that there, it, there was confidence per se. There were a lot of no's that I had heard up until that time. Right. And so I kind of had to gate crash the process. The days on the job and gate-crashing that was part of it. But when I didn't ha- have an offer, when I came out having turned down uh, the London opportunity and came out and started crashing on uh, people's couches uh, in Hong Kong, um, it was really kind of challenging at that point to see how I could find a way in. A few of the of the bulge brackets did open up the doors and let me come in and interview. Most of them didn't because they'd already filled up their uh, their quota, and so I ended up doing something a little bit different, which is I put together a portfolio of uh, a lot of the business school work that I had and circulated that around. Mm-hmm. And I also uh, would attend industry conferences. And a lot of those were somewhat expensive. So I remember borrowing money from my family to spend uh, about $1,500 to go to one private equity conference wow. and you know hand out my MBA uh, business school cards um, as a recent graduate. Now, that actually... Did work out well. And I got about 300 no's, and you know, people don't really want to talk to you because they're there uh, to raise money and to do their industry networking. But it was a unique story, and you only need to get one or two yeses. Right. And so, out of that process, I ended up getting an internship with uh, a, a, a pretty, at the time, unknown private equity shop. And, uh, but I, I had the inclination that they were going to become very large. And in fact, they became one of the largest in Asia. So that internship ended up leading eventually to a full-time offer. I also had a, a full-time offer from uh, one of the investment banks based on the portfolio that I had sent around and then going through their interview process. And it took about six months of not having a job and worrying how I was going to pay my business school loans back, but going around and having that persistence and, and uh, crashing on doors Um, ended up
0: eventually working out. Yeah, you knew Um, you knew eventually you'd get there. I guess, can you talk a little bit more about that portfolio? That's kind of interesting to me. I wouldn't think that a business school, you know, a portfolio of work that you've done in business school would actually be useful. Was it something specific about, you know, banking related work that you were demonstrating you knew how to do it, or what was that exactly? Or kind of give us a well, it was, yeah, it was a
1: couple of different pieces in there. There was the um, valuation work that would be potentially applicable to a first year associate. So that was in there from my finance classes. Mm-hmm. And there was also work that we had done in the strategy classes where there was a lot of regression and analysis, which could make sense also inside of, uh, of work in, uh, IBD. So it, it was, and then, uh, some of the work out of accounting as well. Uh, so basically those three things, and that made up, uh, the packet.
0: Got it. Okay. That makes sense. And so, you were kind of banging down doors, going to any conferences you could, building relationships, handing out your business card, and you were getting no after no after no for you know five plus months, and you know month six comes around. What are you thinking at this point? I made a mistake, or you know what's what's going through your head? Oh, you definitely think on almost a daily basis
1: that you made a mistake, <laughs> especially when you turned down a perfectly fine offer in the city of London, and you know kind of uh does get uh, a little bit hard to do, but I, I was pretty determined to try to find a way in. The bigger challenge was trying to figure out whether I should take the private equity offer or the investment banking offer. And this is where maybe there's a little bit of advice that I can sure, uh, pass that. on we uh, that. to Wall Street Oasis. Mm-hmm. So, so I had, had simultaneously both full-time offers, and I had accepted the banking offer first only because of its... Uh, actually, I got the banking offer a little bit earlier by a few days, and the private equity firm was still on the fence. And so I accepted the offer literally the same day that the private equity firm uh, gave me a full-time offer. And I ended up converting that full-time offer to an internship so that I could intern with the private equity shop prior to going into banking. And that's what enabled me to eventually go back to the private equity firm after I spent time in banking. My one piece of advice that I would give to people in Wall Street Oasis is uh, that private equity you want to make that transition when you're ready and i spent uh, only about a, a year in investment banking before i made the move and in hindsight that was a mistake and inside of an investment bank they give you a lot of learning resources they give you a lot of uh, transactions and a lot of variety of transactions and inside of a larger structure like a bank you have lots and lots of people and inside of those lots of people you'll find mentors. They may not be in your immediate team, but there's going to be people who are friendly and helpful. And I made the move to private equity way too soon. Mm -hmm. That offer was an open offer once I'd finished my internship to go back to them. And I didn't need to pull that trigger, but I sort of had what I think a lot of people that I see now on the forums have which is this belief that when you make the move to private equity that life is going to be completely different and all of a sudden it's you know sunshine and rainbows. And the fact is that a lot of the work that you do leverages off of what you need to learn first in banking. And in my case, I made the move too soon, and I was literally thrown into that environment where it was a small firm. A lot of private equity firms are. There's only, uh, I believe, about uh, 15 people there at the time. Right. I was one of only two people that had any banking background. Everyone else was from an operations background, and so you're being asked, all of us, and so I was being asked in a very early stage to do to run the deals and to do a lot of the heavy lifting on the financial modeling, on the diligence the client side, client interaction. Yeah, yep. You got it. Yeah. And so it was just uh, a little bit too soon, a little bit too early. And, uh, you know, there's this, I think, sort of burning fire for a lot of people when they're on the sell side to make the move to the buy side. And they think that it's going to be completely different. And uh, it really, for me, wasn't. It was an extension of what I was doing in banking, but without a lot of the infrastructure and support and without the big, at the time, the big brand name of of a bank to, uh, to leverage. We were a small private equity firm and we were... Uh, trying to win deals, and it was very, very challenging.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: eventually, they grew to be quite large and successful, and, and deals started flowing through the door. But at the beginning, that wasn't the case.
0: Now, when you jumped, did you feel like you just didn't, you hadn't had enough deal experience at the bank yet to feel confident enough? So you were kind of thrown to the fire when you went to the small PE shop. It's a very similar story to me. I, I felt like I had enough deal experience, but I was so used to the structure that banking provided me as an analyst, where like an associate was over your shoulder guiding you kind of... Um, you know, telling you when you could do this or when you could do that, whereas, and then I went to private equity was completely unstructured and similar to you, you know, 15 people. And it's just such a different, it's such a huge shift in terms of, you know, Mm -hmm. everyone's looking over your shoulder to now all of a sudden you're responsible for a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that, was that similar at the, because you went post MBA, so it's a little different. Was that similar um, or you were already kind of given those responsibilities in banking? So it was, it was more just, you didn't feel like you had the the technical skills at the time yet, or not not enough?
1: Not enough. Mm -hmm. And I'd had some responsibility in banking, but not enough to uh, be able to run a deal in its entirety. And the technical skills were definitely not there. So I had made good progress during the year of banking, but it wasn't where it needed to be where I could be the guy with drop-dead responsibility for making sure that all the numbers were right. But I believe your background
0: was having you were an analyst first, then promoted to associate, and then you made the move to private equity. Correct? No, I actually went right after my analyst stint, and it didn't go well. I got fired six months in. <laughs> so that I went, I went from Rothschild investment banking and restructuring was near the top of my class. You know, did very well. Worked, you know, ninety mm-hmm. plus hour weeks. Went to a small private equity fund in Boston. Did not go well. Um, the fund. I found out later that the fund was kind of headed south, but still, it w- it wasn't the I don't think my performance was great there, if I'm being honest with myself. And then from there, I, I went to another private equity fund in New York for about four years. But before I got my MBA, so but I, I I can definitely you know sympathize with your your struggles when you first jumped to PE because I, I had the same exact feeling where oh no like I I can and for me it wasn't the modeling it was more just running the entire process and not knowing where to step in where to step out because the mm-hmm. it, there was no structure. There was no guidance. It went from like very structured to un- completely unstructured. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting to me. That's really. I, I think that, you know, I was surprised to hear that coming from a, you know, a, a post MBA, but I guess it's probably also common. Um, just that, that jump is, it's just so different.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. the MBA doesn't really teach you that much financial modeling, right? Uh, this is one of the things that's, uh, that surprised me. You are t- you're in a generalist quasi-professional degree, and you take a whole variety of classes, you take a, a lot of finance, a lot of it's theory, you don't do that much financial modeling, you do some, uh, and then you're thrown into the Investment Banking Associate Program. Now, what I'd recommend to anyone who is going into such a program is do your, your online training in, in financial modeling before you get to the bank, because that'll really help you. Uh, ultimately, the bank will put a lot of resources your way, but you're still the only one who's responsible for the end product, you're responsible for your own training. And in our case at the bank, our training was four days. Mm-hmm. And so it was less than I think some of the other banks uh, give their uh, their cohort, but the, at least they gave us something. And if I'd been smarter before I got to the bank, I would have done all of that myself. And you know, during that you know, six month period when I wasn't working and I was looking for a job, I would have divided some of my time into studying and some of my time into looking for a job. And it probably would have also taken some of the edge off. And then when I made the transition to private equity, there's nobody there who is going to help you. There's no one there who's going to hold your hand. Right. There is just a massive amount of deals that are being thrown at you. You need to be evaluating at a very rapid pace. I think, Patrick, similar to your experience, uh, you know, you have to run with it and you, and, you're, and you have to do it right away. And so I didn't even have uh, any director, VP level people to look over my shoulder and say, this is right. This is wrong. It's just, here's a the deal. There's another deal in a, in a, coming down the pipe in a, in, uh, almost right away. And you need to just produce very, very quickly. And so I think that's one of the things that gets missed is that there is sort of a progression that one has to have. And I think there is a lot of uh, desire to move to the buy side, but it has to be done in the right way. And a- a- as an associate, which is, uh, where I came in, there's, uh, there, there really is already the expectation that you're going to be able to run the deal because we were, we had basically no middle layer. We had managing directors during sourcing. We had associates, uh, doing the execution, right? We didn't really have any analysts. We had no VPs and no directors. And so all of a sudden you're on a, you're in a small team and you have dropped dead responsibility. There is the pace is incredible. There are no resources either educational or analysts to, to help. And, uh, it's, uh, you really have to have all your stuff together uh,
0: right. so that you can execute. So you, so you made this jump. So you, you know, you jumped maybe a little too early, but you'd made the jump and you're mm-hmm. kind of getting drinking from a fire hose, <laughs> so to speak and working probably, um, it sounds like very long hours. Is that correct? Correct. And, um, is this like upwards of 80 a week or, or worse. More, I should it say. was
1: basically 9 a.m. to 1 a.m. to 2 or 2
0: a.m. Okay. 6 so, days a week. So pretty brutal. And so we
1: would come in on Saturday early in the morning mm-hmm. uh, and I and I think this is actually pretty typical for China. Yep. And uh, you'd work all day on Saturday as well.
0: Yep, sounds like banking. Anyways, and then so so you so you did make that transition. It wasn't necessarily in retrospect the the right move to make at the given time but you you made it to the buy mm-hmm. side you were doing something that you found interesting and then kind of can you just um kind of guide us through again what, what was your next step kind of how did that that role evolve
1: i will say it was very interesting this is one thing that i think uh, shouldn't be glossed over is private equity is pretty cool in the sense that you get to look at a lot of different deals and you're able to really evaluate the companies and so you're not packaging you're actually meeting with management team, you're doing industry analysis, you're doing company analysis, and I think that that was very intellectually satisfying. It's also important for people to choose the the firm very carefully because I, unlike banking, where I think there is uh, a fair degree of similarity between the different institutions, private equity is all over the map. and so you have small firms, you have some firms that are rocketing up like the one that I joined. You have, in the case of the Boston firm that you joined, they were somewhere towards the decline. Um, And I've worked for a couple of other private equity firms since, and they're worlds apart from each other. Mm. I've worked for large organizations where they're churning out a lot of of, uh, deals. I've worked for organizations where the management is very, very friendly and wants everyone to think collaboratively. I've worked for organizations where the guys were terrible people or, or the, the CEO hasn't in, in, in one case, I worked for a firm where the CEO was really quite a terrible person. He he is, uh, hmm. he started his own, his own independent shop. All the power is his. Uh, he would berate the other managing partners. He kicked a few of them out. Uh, it was a lot of chaos. A lot and of it was very difficult to raise funds because if you can't keep a team together right. and people are seeing the other partners getting rotated out as if it's a revolving door, they don't have the confidence to put money with the platform, right. and so you also saw a lot of turnover in the execution level because after a couple of years of you know uh, of uh, insufficient funds coming in, insufficient deals getting closed, people end up starting to look elsewhere. So it, it's and it's tough to figure out what the firm's going to be like unless you're on the inside, but sometimes you can try to
0: feel out the other people. You can do sound diligence uh, who are, who are the execution. Before. You can do some, I think there's a little bit, you know, I think a lot of times for startup funds, you got to be really careful, especially when they're saying, Oh yeah, we're mm-hmm. fundraising. It's going great. We're about to close on X. Really? Are you sure? <laughs> Oftentimes it, right. it delays much longer than what is anticipated. It can, it can take, you know, two, three times as long and they can raise half of what they anticipated. So you got to be just be really careful that you're not sold a dream that you're, you're going into a fund that has dry powder. You're that can actually execute on deals um, from day one. Um, Assuming you have that option to choose between two funds. Um,
1: 100%. Yeah. Really the best time to join a fund. If you have the opportunity to time it is after they've just closed their fund, or at least they've had a very successful first closing because then you know that they have dry powder and there's nothing more frustrating than kind of sitting on your hands either looking at deals and not being able to pull the trigger or not even looking at deals and that doesn't do anything for your career the The whole fun is to be able to actually talk with companies in a, in a sincere way and evaluate the business and try to find
0: things to do together right yeah so it sounds like you've you've moved at least a few times uh, and you've stayed on the buy side is that correct correct yeah. and so how many times so from that initial um, jump you made from banking to to be, how long were you at that initial firm as as one of the few associates there?
1: So I was there for three and a half years. Okay. It was a great adventure, and it was really uh, a place that uh, where I appreciate having the opportunity and had a challenging experience, but also got to see them the, see the platform get built and expand a lot, and so that was exciting. Um, however, being a foreigner in China has made it somewhat challenging to find the next opportunity and to be honest i'm not sure that i'd recommend anyone doing it again i wouldn't do it again i'm not sure i'd recommend it to anyone else because i think the market is localized quite a bit
0: so it's becoming more uh, insular it's like actually getting harder for foreigners to come in and get promoted
1: actually i I know only i know only foreigners exiting there's a few foreigners that are owners within the private equity shops they started typically started them a, decade or more ago. Mm-hmm. And right now, it's only the local firms that are winning. And so I wouldn't recommend it uh, as uh, an expat to come to Hong Kong or China with the idea of doing private equity. Hedge funds is different. I've seen a lot of uh, expats doing hedge funds and doing that very well. Mm-hmm. I've seen some expats in banking, although similar to private equity, that's gotten a lot harder because at the end of the day, you have to convince management teams of locals to play ball. You have to t- talk to the CEO, say, let us help you take this company public in the case of banking or in the case of private equity. Let us invest in you and let's get married for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's m- a much harder conversation to have as a foreigner. Yeah,
0: even if you're fluent in Mandarin, it can be difficult because it's not, you're not actually from there so they don't feel like they feel like you're an right. outsider, I guess. Yeah. So that makes sense. I, I think, um, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear just a little bit more about your, your thought process in your transition. So like, you know, after three and a half years, how long did it take you to find that next opportunity? Given, given this, the fact that you were an outsider and, and kind of what was the thought process in terms of when you started looking and, and when you decided, okay, this is the right opportunity.
1: In my particular case, um, there was the opportunity to help start a firm, and the shop that I was with had such an influx of returnees from London or New York during the global financial crisis that I was no longer able to really be as relevant as I was before,
0: and so it just was the right time to move on.
1: In do general, you, do you though, feel I like if you, 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 you,
0: you feel like you were getting pushed out almost, or at least a, subtly getting pushed well well pushed out of the deal process not mm. pushed out of the firm got
1: it there were still things for me to do but it's a, it's what I uh, referred to earlier which is you know you're an outsider so in China if a entrepreneur is thinking of selling his company or selling a piece of his company to somebody else they typically want it to be someone from their local province where they speak the same dialect I'm several standard deviations away from that I'm not even Chinese. And so that makes it very, very challenging. So the relevance on the deal team was lower. And I think this comes down to just being a little bit more uh, focused on trying to play to one's strengths rather than to try to do something which is where you see an opportunity, but where you may not be a great fit for that. And so from there, I went to a firm that was a little bit more cross-border oriented and spent time with them. Uh, the culture was not as good as... Uh, the first shop Uh, but there are certain limitations there are only so many firms within the local market that are doing cross-border work that I can uh, that I really uh, have a place
0: in got it that makes sense and the cross-border work was from China to the US primarily or Europe or anywhere
1: Uh, it's primarily US China
0: yeah okay and then so and then your next step um, kind of after that how long were you at that firm and kind of or you know roughly and then what was I, I'm just I like to dig in a little bit in, in terms of the thought process of when you knew like how you actually knew it was time to move on because I think it's even though you know it might not be the same as for everybody it, it's it's nice to be able to kind of look out for those signs of of one you might you know maybe it's when you just felt like intellectually you weren't growing as, as much or for some other reason
1: Well, within the first firm, it's uh, because of the the lack of ability to remain relevant on the deal side. Uh, Subsequently, it's been a little bit more challenging because of that only so many opportunities in the market. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, looking in hindsight, moving back to the U.S. would have made sense at that uh, moment in time. And I think it still probably does. So that is something that I'm in process of trying to engineer. Mm -hmm only because just by virtue of where you are, it can really limit your opportunities. And so similarly, I think if one wanted to do uh, private equity focused on tech, you'd probably have to be within San Francisco, Los Angeles, maybe New York and Boston. And I think otherwise it just limits your opportunities. And even if you like a particular city or have family reasons to be somewhere, in my case, I started a family and I had reasons to stay within the Asia market, it still can be a real challenge and a real hindrance. And so it's taken time now to sort of get all of that family stuff settled mm-hmm. and be ready to make a move back to the U.S. And so that's really the driver.
0: Before finishing the interview, I asked Earthwalker7, what's one piece of advice he'd give his younger self? This is what he had to say.
1: sure that you're the, you know, the sharpest, most... Heat in person, by the time you walk into the door. I also recommend bringing examples of work. So that worked for me out of uh, the MBA program. Uh, the work that he produced, uh, that this intern produced for us last summer. I made sure he had a sanitized, non-confidential version, uh, which removes anything sensitive, which he was able to take in uh, this year to help close his next internship. And then I, and then also make sure you collect. Uh, professional letters of recommendation so from uh, the pre, the places where you've interned so you put together a complete package it just helps to eliminate a lot of the unknowns for the potential employer uh, and I recommend doing that and I recommend investing in education as much as possible early on even if that means taking a job that pays less is less prestigious or, or what have you because that's going to pay dividends later and even in my post MBA experience having you know left banking too early to go to private equity because I had stars in my eyes around the buy side. That wasn't the smart move. A smarter move would have been continue to study, continue continue to work in the investment bank, continue to leverage the learning resources and the deal flow that they're giving you in order to try to be a much stronger, uh, more put together finance professional before you make the move to the buy side. The buy side is going to be there. It's always going to be there. You can always move uh, a year later and don't be in a rush to get there. Be in a rush to try to be the sharpest knife in the drawer.
0: That's great. I think uh, it's definitely some advice to live by. I, I couldn't agree more. And I want to thank you again so much, Earthwalker Seven, for joining us today and giving the listeners some incredible advice and some insight into uh, how everything works over in China. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Patrick. Great. Take care. Really
1: appreciate having the opportunity to share. And thank you for
0: uh, Wall Street Oasis. It's a great tool. Appreciate it. Thanks. Talk soon. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. And until next time.